Good morning. Thank you for joining the Spirit Mind Body Podcast. My name is Jeremy. I am a born-again follower of Christ, husband, father, and I'm a worship leader and elder at the church in Wisconsin. And I am blessed to be able to share some study on the Word of God with you today. And and so uh, I appreciate you joining me. Um, um, I'm going to start by saying I'm tired. <laughs> I am, I am whooped. I have had a, I've just been, it's been a long couple, couple of weeks here. Um, uh, a lot of snow, a lot of pine, a lot of cold, and I'm just beat. And so I just want you guys to know that, um, if I'm, if I sound worn down, I am worn down. I know you're not supposed to talk about that stuff on podcast. You're supposed to sound energetic and, and alive and, um, and I have energy, but I just, I want to be transparent with you guys. So, um, I am, uh, we're going to jump in, uh, to Genesis nine or sorry, Genesis 29 through 30, Mark six fourteen through 44 and Psalm seven. So, in Genesis 29, um, we see uh, Jacob. Jacob has been sent out by Isaac to go um, get a wife from the people, uh, from his his from his wife's family, from from um, uh, Rebecca, uh, from her family. And so, she's sent to Laban, who was Rebecca's brother, and his family. And when he arrives there, he meets Rachel by the well, and immediately. It's like head over heels. Yes, I want to marry Rachel. And so he goes to Laban, says, you know, I'll, I'll work seven years for you for uh, to, to be able to marry Rachel. Seven years come and go. Says it was like days because he was just, he was, it was like nothing because he was so excited to, to marry Rachel. And then um, on his wedding day, it says evening arrived. So verse 23, it says evening arrived and Laban brought out Leah to marry, uh, Jacob and Jacob lies with her that night and wakes up in the morning and says, what have you done Laban? How, you know, how have you deceived me like this? Why have you deceived me like this? Um, so if, I want to touch on this cause it does say so there's a couple of things. I've always wondered, like, how in the world did you not know, Jacob, that this was not Rachel? This, you said, you know, you seem to be so in love with Rachel, but, you know, um, so there's a few things. Um, first of all, Jacob may not actually have spoken with Rachel a whole lot. Um, uh, it may have been, you know, it's not like they were dating, like how in, in, in modern culture, how, what we see in, in, you know, the mainstream in the world and, and, and even in the church world and stuff, you know, you'll see people who date and get to know each other and all of these things before they get married. Um, that wasn't the culture. It, it was, it was a betrothal. It was an arrangement. So after the initial meeting, it, they may have not talked to each other very much, um, uh, and, and, you know, Leah and Rachel may have been about the same size. Um, Leah may have just been a part of the, uh, she may have been a part of the plan and not spoken much that night. She may not have been part of the plan and thought that this was the deal the whole time. It doesn't say that Rachel was necessarily aware of the arrangement that she was going to be married after the seven years. And so maybe they thought, maybe she thought, yeah, he's here, he's working for Leah, and then he's, you know, 
there's not a lot of specific details with that. All we know is that Jacob thought he was working to get Rachel. Um, another thing is that it says at evening time, Laban brought out Leah. So it was dark. There was darkness, most likely. Um, it, it was also likely that Leah was veiled with a with a dark veil and stuff. And so um, maybe visibility there wasn't wasn't quite, you know, to where he could see that Rachel that he longed for. Um, and uh, again, I, what I'm saying is just speculation, just possible reasons. There's not, you know, this is there's there, there's the possibility that alcohol was involved and that may have affected his judgment one way or the other. We don't know that. I'm just throwing it out there as as this is a maybe reason. All we know is that um, Jacob married Leah last night, laid with her, woke up in the morning, and and was like, Laban, what are you doing? Why why'd you do this? You deceived me. And um, uh, so then he says, okay, it's a custom for the older to be married first, but just finish the marital week and and then you can marry Rachel and then you work for me seven more years and uh, and and it's an it's a deal um and so so Jacob married Leah and one week later married Rachel and um so he had his two wives and and he worked for seven more years um under Laban now it's interesting because Jacob who the Lord used his deception. The Lord knew he would be a deceiver. It's not that the Lord caused him to deceive, but that he knew he would deceive. And and um, and Jacob became the line through which the Messiah would come and Israel would come, you know, the this nation would be birthed. Um, and now there's deception on the part of Laban towards Jacob. And through this deception, you know, Jacob never desired to marry Leah. But through this deception, he married Leah. And through Leah, we're not going to talk about the two concubines that Jacob had sons with. We're strictly going to talk about Leah here. Leah was his first wife. And through Leah came the tribe of Levi, who were the priests, the priesthood of Israel. And as as well as through Leah came the tribe of Judah, which is where Christ came from. Jesus was born, um, descendant from the tribe of Judah. And so through this deception of that Laban did to to Jacob God ultimately his plan his will was was uh was accomplished through this and so sometimes things that happen we think like lord how could you allow this to happen and the lord allows things to happen because he sees the big picture and he sees what's going on and it's not that he blesses sin it's not that he blessed deception but he blessed the offspring of Leah and he blessed Jacob, you know, through which that would come and everything. So, so we see the Lord's plan coming through this. And it was in a way, Jacob kind of got a dose of his own medicine, you know, with his own, his own deception that, that he uh, had on his father. But um, so anyway, so then moving ahead, uh, uh, we see this 11 of the 12 sons of, of uh, Jacob are born through chapter 29 and 30 down to Joseph. And then Joseph is born and Jacob wants to go back to the land of Canaan. Laban didn't want him to leave. He didn't want him to leave with his daughters or his grandchildren. He's, what, what, what can I give you? What can I give you? What can I give you? And they, finally they strike a deal and, and Jacob says, fine. 
um, you keep all the solid colored, I'll keep all the stripes and the spots and, and everything else of the, of, of the livestock. And the Lord, we see the beginning of a great blessing towards Jacob, where um, Jacob, through obeying the Lord and some strange things that he did with sticks and everything, um, uh, blessed Jacob with with tremendous multiplication of his livestock and everything. So, so it this is the beginning of of what we see, uh, not the very beginning, but it's it's still towards the beginning of what we see. This great blessing that the Lord pours out on the nation of Israel. Um, so now, Mark six verses fourteen through forty four. So we kind of take a chunk out of the middle of the chapter. It's a very long chapter in Mark. Um, we're at the point where Herod hears of Jesus, King Herod hears of Jesus and thinks this is John the Baptist raised from the dead. And then we see a sort of flashback recollection of events of what happened to, to lead to John the Baptist beheading and, and very strange um, request from Herod's uh, uh, niece, I think it was, or, or stepdaughter. I can't remember exactly how it is, but maybe it's his daughter. Um, uh, but anyway, it's it, it's a strange order of events, and um, Herod didn't want to harm John the Baptist, but he ends up beheading him to please his wife and whatever it is. And so, um, so he thinks Jesus is the, the the risen John the Baptist, you know, John the Baptist risen from the dead. Um, and uh, then we just move on from that <laughs> from that uh, recognition and uh, go to the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Um, and this is a, this is a well-known story. There's the 5,000 and, and uh, other stories where he feeds a multitude of people. Um, in this one, it, the, the disciples are like, Hey, we got to send these people away. Like there's, we can't feed everybody. And he, and Jesus says, no, you feed them. And he's like, what are we going to do? And, uh, they, they get a hold of a small amount of food and Jesus says, just sit every day, everybody down and just do what I tell you to do. And so we see the disciples being obedient in something that they, this, they're like, this is, and this is, I'm, I'm sure that to some extent they're saying like, okay, we've seen Jesus do some amazing things, but then there's gotta be a part of their flesh that's looking at things in their, in their human mind and saying, what is the point of this? This is not enough food to barely feed a handful of these people, let alone all of them. But they're obedient, and in their obedience, Jesus blesses the multitude, he feeds the multitude, and then there's 12 baskets full of food that they pick up afterwards. And so we see that God often will ask us to be obedient in something that we don't understand. And not only does he do like the thing that we're praying for him to do, but then he, there's an overabundance of blessing that pours out and it pours out on other people around us and, and through us. And we see the evidence of it, you know, like the 12 baskets, we see the evidence of what's been poured out. We see the, the, the abundance of what's been poured out just through our obedience, even when we don't understand. So there are times that we are like, Lord, why are you having me do this? It doesn't make sense. And that may all well be true. It doesn't make sense to us. But if you know the Lord's calling you to do something, just do it. Step out in obedience and and, and just do what he's calling you to do. So then Psalm 7, um, yet another. This is what our brother Joe 
the elder, a fellow elder at church in Wisconsin would call an imprecatory prayer. It's a word that I never heard of um, before Joe uh, did some teaching on it. And, and uh, it's another prayer of David asking for deliverance from his enemies and, and essentially harm towards his enemies. Um, but it's, it's interesting because he says, um, judge me, O Lord. This is verse eight of, of chapter seven. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity within me. This is very, this is a very interesting prayer to pray because we know as we read of David, his heart for the Lord, we know that he knows that his righteousness and his integrity are not of himself but his righteousness and his integrity come from the Lord. And he knows that. He, he recognizes that the, the source of that integrity and the source of that righteousness is the Lord. And so we can pray like, Lord, I, I am following you. I'm, I'm seeking you. You know my heart. He says, Lord, you know, you know my heart. You know my thoughts. Like he, you know, he prays these sorts of things to God. And, and we can pray these things. Lord, you know that I'm without like malintention here towards anybody just please protect me from these people or these situations or whatever it may be and and judge between me and them like you know that I love you Lord you know that my heart is for you and so so David's able to pray this because he knows it's not out of himself but it's out of the Lord so um and then finally today just a, a word about love and I thought for sure I had already spoken about love and maybe I've mentioned it at some point but um, this is, this is, uh, a spiritual exhortation that, that pours out over, it, it applies to any part of our life. Um, but especially our relationship with God and our relationship with others, because this is what we see as the greatest commandment, love God and love others. These two things, loving God and loving others out of that come every other specific and general principle general principle and specific direction that the lord has ever given and will ever give um it is it is out of love it's out of love that he acts it says god is love it's it's the it's the it's his nature to love and we are we are to imitate be imitators of christ we are to be imitators of of that thing, you know, it says greater love has no man than this, that he lays down his life for his brothers. Um, and so we see this and, and our love is, is about preferring one another, prefer, preferring others over ourselves. Um, we probably did talk about this a little bit in, in Philippians when it says like looking not only after your own interests, but the interests of others. And so maybe that's where I touched on it, but love is, should be, must be the guiding um like the spearhead of everything that we say and do and think and just to our very existence that we would love god first and love others second um and we're at the bottom of the list but we are blessed immensely more than we can imagine by pouring out that love for god first and and others um first corinthians first corinthians 13 uh, there's a few verses within that that give a great summary Love suffers long, so love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. So there's no, there's no, there's no like 
you know, out of love, we don't say like, oh, I want what that person has. Out of love, we don't say, look at me. It's not puffed up. If there's no pride, it doesn't, we don't parade ourselves. It does not behave rudely. We're not unkind and un, you know, we're not rude in the way that we speak. We're gentle. There's gentleness, um, does not seek its own. Again, it's, you're looking out for God and others. And this is, this is the, the attribute of love. This is the, the essence of love is that it's outward. It, it, is, a, it is an outwardly motivated thing um, that is not provoked. So sometimes you'll see um, uh, translations that say not easily provoked, but is not provoked, not offended. We are not, when someone gets offended, it's easy for them to say, look at you, you offended me. You're not loving me, which may well be true. But if I'm being offended, I'm not loving you. So think about that when, when somebody stings your pride, stings your ego, stings you in general. Maybe it's a very justified injury to you, a justified harm to you emotionally, physically, you know, verbally, whatever it might be. Somebody's trying to hurt you. But when we are provoked, we are not loving that person. And so there's a, there's, um, and it doesn't mean we never act. So that's another, that's a whole different thing to t- talk about when we do act or how we do act out, you know, or, or take action on things. But when we're provoked and, 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 and it stirs us up in our pride again, we're not loving the person, even if they genuinely har- harmed us or offended us. Um, love thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity. We don't look at somebody who's in sin and say like, oh, good, I'm not as bad as them. Or, oh, good, I don't like them, so I'm glad that they're not uh, going to be blessed by the Lord, that I'm glad they're going to hell or whatever. You know, I mean, that sounds extreme, but sometimes our, our inner thoughts are more extreme than people might think on the outside. Um, love rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So there is a, there's a trusting and a believing and a hoping and a, and a like, I'll, I'll bear your burdens. I will endure whatever it needs to be that, that it needs to be endured, you know? So, um, love is not an easy thing for us to do in our own strength. In fact, I would say it's probably impossible for us to do in our own strength. Truly, truly, truly loving because it's by the grace of God that we are able to do what he commands us to do and he commands us to love. And so it's, it's probably in our nature. I know by, by nature, by, by my flesh, I know that I'm a selfish person. So to love, to, to look outward and to act outward and and to, to serve outwardly is not of my flesh. That is of the Lord through and through in my life. Um, I did not want to record this episode today. <laughs> I wanted to just go to bed. I'm, I said at the beginning of the episode, I'm not feeling well, I'm tired. And, um, but I, I wanted to honor the Lord in this thing that he's given me to do. Um, I'm already behind because of the events of this previous week, but I wanted to honor the Lord and I want, I want to be a blessing to others through this. And so, um, so, uh, so I love you guys. I love you guys. I didn't want to do this, but I'm in my flesh. I didn't want to do this, but I want to honor the Lord. I want to love him and I want to love others by, by blessing you guys with this. So, um, realize that 
that loving is something that uh, if it's super, super easy, either that you're just really, really walking in the spirit or maybe you're not quite being as loving as you think you are. Maybe, you know, uh, love to usually costs a little something of our of our flesh. You know, we usually have to put something down um, in order to do it. And it doesn't mean that there's not going to be joy or peace or or happiness or any of these things in loving others. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying, um, typically it means putting ourselves down, humbling ourselves, or, or sacrificing something or whatever. So, um, so that's it guys. I love you. Um, thank you for joining me today.